1: you know i'm right nick durst here with joe calabrese and joe you know i'm the mets fan you're the yankee fan usually we have a met person or yankee person we're, we're getting into sports writers here but today we have the perfect guest with us someone who has covered both teams in the past
2: very rare yeah it is very rare uh he's also covered the orioles uh he's bounced around done uh some reporting a little bit of everything uh A lot of places, too. Uh, He's been in Boston. He's worked, uh, wrote for the Star-Ledger. He's wrote for Newsday, and that's a very tongue-in-cheek thing with us because everybody we have on here seems to have gone through Newsday at some point, so we'll have some laughs with him there. Uh, He's currently the deputy managing editor for The Athletic. Uh, I do not know if he's still nationally writing for them, but he was at one point. Uh, We were going to get into the Hall of Fame stuff, too, which is always a fun topic, but uh, he's finally on with us. We're really, really excited to have him on. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Mark Carrick. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
3: I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad we finally made this work out. I appreciate you guys' patience. Oh. you patient with me, so thank you.
1: No worries. As you know, sometimes it takes a long time to get a good story to, to <laughs> fruition here, so very happy to get you on. Mark, absolutely love your background right now. How long did it take you to, A, get all those hats, and B hang them up on
3: the wall <laughs> all right so there's about 175 of them and the first one i bought in like 1998 it was the braves hat right here my upper right um you know i've always been a baseball person like i still am like i love baseball love the game or uh, always will right so you know uh, the hats were like I just remember always thinking like what a cool little piece of the game that is right like to so whenever i went to a new city i'd find a ball cap and back in the day it was like this fun game because you'd go and find some mom and pop sporting goods store and you might get like five of these like old school you know brands they don't even make anymore like basically replica fitted hats you know, ten dollars for five. Right. Nice. I'm just trying to get rid of him, you know. So like I got a bunch of St. Louis Browns hats up here, and half of them were from sales that I just described, you know. So I grew up in the Bay Area, I'd go in the city in San Francisco. You know, there's a couple of places I knew to go to, and you know, I'd get lucky. You know, I'd walk out of there with like thirty dollars a of him. <laughs> like so yeah, it's a little different now because a lot more people collect things as the internet and so that also makes it kind of easier to look find what you're looking for. Like, and there's a couple of hats on here. Like there's a, I don't know if you can see it, but there's a Padres hat that, that actually is from like the early 80s.
2: Wow. Yeah, there are a lot of great hats up there. Expos. See, yeah, the old Diamondbacks logo before they ruined it and they changed it from the purple and the the teal look. Uh, I see the Expos hat over there. Uh, let me ask you a question. Has Lids ever contacted you uh, and wanted to form any type of uh, like sponsorship or partnership?
3: <laughs> you know, I, They haven't, but like there's been like hat companies that have like, um, you know, taken note of this and like they'll send stuff, right? Or um, there was one, it was New Era actually because they'd seen this thing, like some rep had sent, you know, an email reaching out and stuff like that. Um, The the most common question is what what Nick just asked, like how do you hang them? And so, you know, like it's funny on Twitter, uh, like if I'm like, doing an interview in Zoom, right? Like we're in a press and I ask a question and people see the background, like every time, if it's like carried on national TV MLB network or SNY or yes, right away, it's like, oh my God, how do you hang those up? And I tweet the link every single time. Like, it's just, it's this one particular brand. They make great racks for these hats um, and uh, yeah. And how long does it take? Like, dang, man, that, that could be like a, a, a two hour project. Um, you know, I got a three-year-old daughter she, she, she thinks it's hilarious to pull them down. <laughs> you know, I've had practice and having to get them back up. So I think that answered the, the hard questions, right?
1: Absolutely. Now you met, you mentioned SNY. and I wanted to know, do you ever get sick of putting on an SNY and y and seeing your five days in flushing piece, which is aired at least five times a week <laughs> on s and
3: Yeah. They didn't tell me it was going to be like that, like five times a week in flushing. Right. Um <laughs> yeah and, and it turns out the predictions on that didn't <laughs> didn't quite line up all right oh this and, is gonna be a dynasty <laughs> yeah. um but no you know what like i actually it's funny those things are so much fun to do um because i think you know i, I don't have to tell you nick right like that that part of team history was really special to a lot of people all right and you know i was working at news day at the time like everybody that appears on this podcast apparently right um but you know, Newsday's readership is heavily, 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 you know, Mets, right? Like it's, it was one of the biggest beats at the paper. Um, got a lot of feedback from people all the time. A lot of them from Long Island. Um, so it actually, for me, it, it was like cool to not only be covering the team at that point, but also to be doing it for this paper that had such a loyal audience that followed the team like that felt good and it felt important. Like it, it made me feel like when I went to work every day, I was trying really hard to do those readers right, right? Like be paying attention, be talking to people, keeping an ear out for things, um, especially that era, right? Like that, in that particular night, you're talking about Wilmer Flores and that night, like a lot of baseball writing is hard, right? Like every single day, like it's, you're living in constant fear that someone's going to drop a bomb on you, right? Like someone's going to break a story. You're going to look like an idiot. Um, But there are also days where it's like, I wouldn't trade him for anything. And that was one of them. That was one of them.
1: Did covering the Mets and panic city and Mets Twitter really elevate your social media presence and really make you rely on social media more heavily than you had in the past?
3: You know, like yes and no, because Honestly, where I feel like the social media aspect really stood out was when I was covering the Yankees for the first time. So I covered the Yankees from like 09 to 2012. Okay, and I was doing that for the ledger at that point. And you know, like Joe, you know, right? Like that's a competitive media market. There's a lot of people that cover the Yankees for obvious reasons. There are a lot of interests, a lot of people read the stuff. So I had to figure out a way as someone who wasn't even from here, right? how do I get in here? Like, how do I become somebody that people should read or at least or think that is worth their time, right? Because that's the hardest thing is like, are you worth the reader's time? It's a hard thing to do. So 2009, like not many people, believe it or not, right? This is pre like Twitter being the end all be all.
2: That so, was probably a better time in life though
3: to be oh, honest. <laughs> right. It was like, you know, it was like a very wild West, but it was like a lot less nasty than it is now.
2: right? Yeah. I see some of the, uh, the jabs that you get thrown your way very unfairly. I might add a oh, lot God. of just silly off the cuff comments that uh, you don't really deserve, but, uh, but continue.
3: You know what? Like people can say what they want. I think that's the kind of the strength of it. Right. And like, I mean, I choose whether I'm going to, you know, give it any mind or not. Um, you know, you asked so the question was like social media and how how it's useful. I'll tell you what one of the ways it's really useful. Criticism. I think that's great. Um, if people thought I was being too hard on the teams I covered, I heard about it. And you know what? That's great. So, you know, I, taking personal shots, that's no fun, right? Like, you know, calling your name, that's no fun. But when someone's like, you know what? You missed the point in this article and here's why. And, and someone tweets that at me. I Love it. Like, I mean, I I would look forward to that because then I'd just be like, damn, they're right. Ooh, they're right. I messed that up. You know, I missed that. They were right. I should think about that. Made me better, right? So um, yeah, like there's a lot of nastiness and it's unfortunate, but that's the world we live in. But there's also a lot of like encouragement um, you know, like I said, like when I really turned into social media, I really got into it and leveraged it, it was the first time with the Yankees being from a smaller paper, a person who's not from here, I didn't know anybody. But by the time I left the beat and got hired at Newsday to cover the Mets, I gained a following. And part of it was because I was accessible on social media. Mm-hmm. Like, I would have these conversations with people. In fact, it's the times that people were critical that I enjoyed the most sometimes because it told me, A, they were paying attention to what you were writing. And if it took the time to point out what they thought was wrong, then I felt like I owed it to them. Since you put in the time to read it and make this comment, which I might not agree with, but like I respect it, then I want to respond. And I what I found is that having those types of interactions was extraordinarily valuable. and And, you know, rather than it you know, like, if, if you're insecure as a reporter, like, you can see that as, like, ah, oh, they're trying to take me down and all these negative things. But a lot of times, like, the way I took it was, like, hey, the good thing is they read it, all right? That's huge, you know, and, and you should pay them the respect back. They gave me their time to read it, I'm going to give you my time to respond, especially because you took time to shoot a response to me i thought so to me that was like the healthiest point but that was yeah that was before the mets that was you know how i got basically how i got in the door in a place like new york which which is no picnic either when you're not from here especially how
1: did you decide in your time you know with star ledger Newsday, and the athletic when it comes to breaking news how did you decide whether got to get that out on twitter right now got to be first or let me get it up on my website so the website gets the page clicks
3: Man, that's a great question. Um, There isn't a a blanket answer, right? Like, I mean, Nick, those things are all... Like, every scenario is a different answer. And it just kind of depends, right? So, like, if it's... Okay, um, I'll just use, like, a rough example, right? Like, if there was a trade or a signing, I knew that that was going to get out fast. Mm -hmm. There was just no... Getting ahead of that. Like, you, there's too many people after that same information. So, if I happen to get it, like, I, I was going to just tweet it because, at that point, you know, the fact of the matter is once it's out there, then it's out there. That's it. Like, there's the, you're on to the next thing, right? So, there's no shelf life, in other words. Whereas, if there was a project I'd been working on that had some news in it, right? Um, then that's different. You know at that point like that's a different calculation so a lot of times it was like you know uh let me think oh the day that cinder guard and the plate of lunch mm, yes like that was one where i knew that i had way more stuff on that than anybody else i knew it so it was like okay i can wait because even if someone says oh there's a thing i knew I was the only one that had had a chapter and verse. I saw the whole thing from start to finish, got every single person involved in it on the record before I left the clubhouse that day, and so I felt confident that I was the only one that had command of that story. And so I didn't tweet it immediately. You know, I waited to put that out there uh, in that instance. So. You know, but that all depends, right? Like, it's just all very dependent on situation. Um, You know, sometimes it is a roster move or whatever. There's no shelf life. You just got to go tweet it. That's what it is. But if you got something you've been working on for a while, it happens to have something in it of substance, then, you know, that's when I guess you bet on yourself to know that, hey, I think I have this and no one else does. I think Harvey went MIA one day. Matt Harvey went MIA that one day. Yeah. And was how,
1: that a World Series practice? He was late or was that a different no, instance?
3: No, no, no. This was Cinco de Mayo, the next ah. time. And I remember like someone else had that first. So then the challenge becomes, all right, first you're pissed that you didn't have it first as a reporter, right? And then the second thing is like, all right, who's going to win the next day's story? And I remember telling myself that day, nobody's going to have a better version and more complete version of what happened than I will today. And that was my goal. And so, you know, I'm, throughout the day, I'm like learning things. Am I, am I gonna tweet all that out? No, <laughs> no. But then when it was time to publish, right? Time's up. You gotta put a story together. Like I was proud because I the first part of that story was the first time the players noticed that he wasn't around, and the end of the story was the, on the Sunday morning when he walked through the door at City Field, and waiting for him was Terry Collins, Jeff Wilpon, and Sandy Alderson. Right. And I had a chapter and verse. So I'm not going to tweet that out as I'm getting it. Right. I'm not going to do that, but that's the one you save for, all right, we're going to hook the readers up right now. They are going to, there's going to be worth their weight. So that, that again, that again, I'm just saying that to illustrate that there's no right, right or wrong answer to that. It's all right.
1: the situation. Uh, now, would you say it's different between, you know, the working on news day versus Working with Athletic, which is behind a paywall, when it comes to tweeting versus writing, because you would think, or I would think, from the outside looking in, because people are paying to read your articles, you would be more likely to want to write something as opposed to break it on Twitter.
3: Yeah, I mean, you always want to write it first. Right. I mean, that's just you know, if if I didn't ever, if I didn't have to tweet something like news out, I wouldn't. But that's not the world we live in. So, but, you know, honestly, being from from Newsday to The Athletic, that part wasn't that all, all that much different, right? Like, there's just, there's certain things you just have to do on Twitter. But, you know, there's a lot of things that you don't, right? There's a lot of things where, you know, you, you mentioned we have a paywall. Um, you know, people still have to buy a Newsday. Right right like you're still there's people and you stand paying money and it wasn't a lot but you do it every day on the train it's a lot right they're still paying money we had home subscribers they're paying money too so from fundamentally it didn't really change right like they're paying money to read my articles in the athletic they were paying money to read them Newsday too you know they I mean, not online not until later then there was a paywall but like um yeah i, I don't think it fundamentally changed you know
2: and how do you deal with pushback uh, between the people, your editors who are higher up than you, uh, you know, the the, the the people who are really in charge of, of uh, what's going on here? Because obviously they want to protect their their babies, right? And they want the exclusive scoops uh, on these these sites. And uh, obviously it, it's a balancing act between. Uh, being able to get these stories and get them out there and raising your profile uh, at the same time, uh, having yourself aligned with uh, the direction and, and the goals within the company. So uh, how, have, how has somebody like you dealt with pushback uh, when you've been put in situations like that?
3: You know, I'm trying to think about pushback, Joe. And honestly, I, I don't know if I've gotten any, right? Like, I mean, I think one of the cool parts about being out in the field, and being a beat writer um, is the autonomy. Like they're trusting you to be the eyes and ears in that room, right? Like I work for people, uh, I have editors when I'm out there, they're not seeing what I'm seeing and they're not hearing what I'm hearing. And when you think about it, that's a lot of trust you're putting in that person that you got out in the field. That's a lot of trust the reader is putting out, putting into that person out in the field, right? That, that was something that I was aware of all the time. like. You're nothing without credibility in this, nothing. If you get a bunch of stories wrong and you tweet something, I think the worst thing as a reporter is to have people go, nah, you don't know if that's right or not. Like that, you know, but vice versa, right? One of the best feelings is when you tweet something, you write something that, you know, maybe people didn't know it or it was kind of controversial or whatever. And then people believe you, right? Like that's a great feeling because you've earned that. You've earned it by doing what you say you're going to do. You've earned it by when you're wrong, you admit it, right? You've earned it by when people criticize you, are you giving them the time back, right? Like, are you explaining what happened? Um, Are you a credible voice? Like when you break a story, you know one of the scariest feelings in the world is breaking a story. There's that period where you're alone and you know you're going to be alone because you're first. And if you're wrong, oh man.
2: Yeah, you get hammered for it. Oh, Now you do. We start with Trevor Bauer. Somebody yeah, must reported.
3: And that's the thing, like, I, I'm, you know.
4: COVID-19 is still around, but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you. Earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want. The leadership developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road. Start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today. Learn how at GoArmy.com slash ROTC. Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit GoArmy.com slash moneyforcollege.
0: Bundling home and car insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who?
4: Before you ride, make sure your mirrors are clean and adjusted properly. And if you're going on a group ride, make sure the lead biker knows where they're going.
2: Uh, Ed, quick question. Where are you taking us?
4: Oh, I have no idea. Well, am I the leader? <laughs> because I was uh, following that dude with the red helmet. Where, where is he? And the rule to saving on motorcycle insurance is, in 15 minutes, GEICO could save you 15% or more.
3: People on Twitter ask that kind of stuff all the time. How come we do hammer the other reporters in their wrong? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you for me, because I've been that guy. I've been wrong. It sucks, man. Like, it sucks to have people piling on, especially when they're your peers. Okay. There might be competitors, but they're also like, we're all in it doing the same thing. So I'm not ever going to be that guy going, oh, man, literally, he was all wrong. Oh, he whiffed. Like, no, because like, you're one story away from being that person. And, you know, what I remember. You know, like what, what in those instances, like, you know, who's taking a free shot at you. Tough right? Yeah. Like, do you want to be that? So for me, like, I'm never going to do it. And, and by the way, it's hard. Right. Like nobody wants to be wrong. It's just, it's very competitive. It's very hard and mistakes happen. So you own them when they happen. Like, it's just, it's what it is. Right. So, um, no, yeah, I mean, it, you're good. The scariest thing is when you were about to hit that button, dude. That is terrifying. <laughs> like, if you're at, wrong, you how know. many
1: how many times are you proofreading before you hit send? I always get when I'm sending a tweet. I'm so nervous. I read like 18 times.
3: Like sometimes, what it's big news is this feeling. Okay, so like, so we're talking about Matt Harvey earlier, right? One of the first things I remember beyond that to be relatively newer, when I'd caught wind that Harvey's at the hospital. Day, uh, and they're looking at his arm. So this is when he had TJ. But like this yeah. is that day that it came out, and I got a text at noon, and like I had done, done enough digging now at the point where it's like I can say it. Like he's being checked out for an arm injury, right? And that's a big freaking deal in 2013 or whatever that was, right? I stared at that thing so long, so long, and then I tweeted it, and I remember my phone battery was kind of low dude it killed it all the replies and whatever. Like, <laughs> it, it literally killed my phone started malfunctioning because of all of the traction that it got so it was a reminder of why it is that you better be right and i remember there was like maybe a seven minute period where you're the most lonely person on earth right because now it's like if i'm wrong if i had somehow messed this up I'm just trying to get established on this. I mean, I have like created two more years of work for myself to not be a clown. Think about that for a second. You make a mistake and you're paying a price, maybe for years, okay? And it's like, oh man, like that's why I'm staring at this. And then of course the phone dies, which is even worse, right, <laughs> but it took me a while to realize that like, you know, when people actually began, like other reporters were like confirming that report or or finding out on their own. So I think Francesa said it on the air a few minutes later. Because he would like, you know, maybe the producer had seen it. and They tracked it down and somebody else. But like, until that happens, until that happens, like, I can't even begin to describe the dread, fear. Like, you feel like you're going to throw up. Like, I felt like I was going to throw up until I heard other people confirm it. Even though I knew it was right. It doesn't even matter. You just know that you're alone. And it's... Right.
1: Listen, you got to be right. And luckily, you got the right show because our show is, you know, I'm right. And Joe and I are always right. So hopefully one day we're right enough that we get the the social presence like you that our phones can die also. (laughs) Uh, But I wanted to know, when did you decide that you wanted to pursue journalism as a career? How did you end up at the University of Nevada? And is it true that a lot of the scholarship basketball players at the University of Nevada actually think they're going to play basketball in Las Vegas. And then they get to Reno and they're oh. like, what's going on? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, first of all, like, what a terrible thing to say about Reno. Like what a, what a horrible turn this has taken. Um, like, you know, oh, this,
1: I, I heard this come out like two years ago when when uh, University of Nevada was like a top 10 team and they were, and the basketball players would be interviewed and they're like oh well, I didn't really know where it was so I thought it was going to Las Vegas
3: God. like uh, you know maybe that's true but um you no. actually the program's been pretty good man we' had you know when I was there like went to the sweet 16 one year good right. basketball team Yeah, yeah a basketball team um so like I, you know probably high school is when I felt like this was interesting journalism was interesting um i actually thought i would be doing something else in journalism you know i thought i'd be like covering government or covering wars or whatever like so some of my first jobs were like actually covering you know fires crimes uh going out to the scene of like you know one of the first places i went to uh actually on the scene, like I, I pull up and there's pieces of a motorcycle all over the road. And somebody had gotten high and driven that motorcycle like 90 miles an hour into the side of a truck, right? And you can imagine what that looks like. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do this. Uh, <laughs> it turns out maybe this isn't what what's for me. And so I don't know, I've always liked baseball. I've always loved baseball. Um, so, I was like, you know what? Maybe we want to cover baseball. Right. So, um, that's how it kind of began. I went to junior college first, actually, like near home. Um, and then uh, went to Nevada because there were some people there that I had gotten to know, like, and they're like their professors, like friends of friends kind of thing. And like, they had, you know, recommended it. And, you know, I'm glad they did because I had an awesome experience there, a lot of great people. Um, like still some of my best friends are from that time period right so um and then at that point it was like yeah you know, I really enjoyed it and got lucky you know I got interns like back then it was about getting internships in the summer and I got really lucky because you know my internship internships were the Boston Globe and the Washington Post Ooh. which are like hard to get and felt super fortunate but I mean at both those places like I met great people and learned so much Um, how
2: did you turn your Nevada connections into internships on the uh, the east coast yeah it doesn't seem to I don't know pass the sniff test at first but I mean those are really impressive right off the bat
3: probably straight up luck I mean what what can I say like I mean especially the older I get the more I realize some of the breaks we get man like you just have no idea for all i know they wanted to hire somebody else and they couldn't do it they turned it down for something else you know like who knows i have no clue um all i know is that like you know one of the people i met was standing at the you know standing with me the daggone on okay wow one of my best friends um and also by the way a great sports writer but like you know that that's the kind of thing that I, I couldn't explain that, Joe. Like I don't know, man. Like there's no and like let's put it this way if if you told me to relive those times a hundred times, how many times you think it would end up the way it ended up? Maybe one, <laughs> maybe two. The point is I wouldn't want to like walk it again, like because I mean geez, how many ways could that have gone sideways, right? So um right, yeah, that's a that's a long answer for I guess I got lucky which is fine, but that, that sometimes that's what it's about. But I will say this, um, I'd like to think that I was ready for that luck, you know? Like, I'd like to think that when I got those breaks, like, I, I proved to people that I belonged there. Um, you know, and in Washington, you know, that's what happened. They hired me right after that internship. They freaking hired me out of school. So, you know, like that's, so yeah, maybe it was luck, who knows? Um, I'd like to think that the second part of that wasn't luck.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, how did you leverage uh, those internships right into covering the Orioles? Because you're only with the Orioles uh, for a year and you went right to the Yankees. And, and, and you mentioned before that you were with the Yankees for three years and, and you kind of, you know, progressed from there. Uh, so uh, so I'll reiterate, uh, how did you leverage that? Uh, and who would you say uh, through the course of the first, uh, you know, five to 10 years of your career, the earlier years of your career where you were bouncing around? Uh, covering different beats uh, in different places, uh, having your work published in, in different publications. Uh, who do you think were the most important people uh, for you in your life at that
3: time? Well, okay. So that's a really tough one because there's just too many to name, but I'll single, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say two because the context of what we're talking about is like baseball, right? Like how to, Basically the question is how to end up covering baseball. So there's really two. One is Emilio Garcia Ruiz, who is now running the San Francisco Chronicle. At that point, he was a sports editor of the Washington Post. So he gave me a shot there. And, you know, one of the first conversations we had, and this is something I do now with everyone I talk to about work. He's just like, straight up, what do you want to do? Like, what is your, what is your goal here? And I said, well, I want to cover Major League Baseball. That is my goal here. He's like, okay, great. Let's see if we can make that happen. You're covering Maryland football, right? <laughs> like, yeah. and, and, and the point was like, that's what we got. You're going to learn. And I understood that. So say- well, I, it been, doing, but it
2: happens to everybody.
3: Well, you know, do you, do you get what you get. So, but that same day, we had another editor at the paper. Her name was Tracy Hamilton and Tracy was the baseball editor. She has me to lunch because she'd heard, you know, want to cover ball. So whatever, that was a nice lunch. She's, she was great, like super friendly the whole time. Well, now we flash forward a couple of years, as' two years maybe. And Tracy calls, he's like, um, you still want to cover baseball? I'm like, hell yeah. Well, great. Spring training in Lauderdale starts on X date, and be there. Like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, so I cover baseball because Tracy Hamilton um, is a good person who remembered that's why like you asked me how did it work it's because I got lucky and came across good people who remembered right Emilio remembered so um yeah like that's what got me in it and after that year it was like god this is great (laughs) like this is great I like covering baseball a lot it's really hard but I want to get good at it you know because it's really hard so that's how it went how did you
1: get the position then with the star ledger and then from there how was you know, obviously, the first year there, you're you're covering a World Series team. So, what was that like for you?
3: Yeah, it was nuts. Um, the hardest thing to do, I think, as a sports writer, is have your first year on a beat because everything's brand new. Um, you don't have any friends usually. Like, it's a tough thing. Uh, so, I was the last Washington Post Orioles writer actually they, they eliminated the spot so now i was out of a job okay uh but a job had opened up at the ledger and that editor had worked with Amelia. um that's and that's how a lot of this works right yeah. it's they just it was right place right time he calls out of blue it was like we've got this gig here are you interested um so, yeah. right so I walk in and it's like I'll never forget this, right? Like, so I got him covering the Orioles in 2008, and shocker, they weren't very good, right? Um, and and I walk into the Yankee clubhouse, and here's Derek Jeter and Jorge Posada and Mark Teixeira and AJ Burnett and CC Sabathia, right? Like, and I'm A Rod, an you know, A Rod, and know, <laughs> right? Like, you're just like, <laughs> like, this is uh you know, Johnny Damon's on the team at that point. Like, I mean, it was just like. Holy cow! Right? Like I'm looking at like the infield by itself. You're just like, oh my god! Like that's so that's brand new. And by the way, there's like three times more people in the room, right? Like, and they're people who know what they're doing. So it's like Joel Sherman's in there. You're just like, oh shit! You know, like what am I? Like like, Joel's great. George King's in there. He's like, oh shit! What am I gonna do? You You know, like it's and everywhere you looked, it was like that's like, oh man! Like guys are really good. You know. So like it was terrifying, right? And like I don't know anything. It's like day three, and I'm you know you have to write notebooks in a newspaper, right? It, it, it's like a you know four hundred word little wrap up, right? And it was like early in the morning, like it looked like it was going to be kind of a slow day, and I turned to Ken Davidoff, who was working at the time at Newsday, all right? Yep. Said, Kenny,
2: one of our Newsday connects.
3: That's right. Kenny <laughs> kind of a slow Newsday, and he starts laughing. He's like. <laughs> the Yankees always provide. That's what he says.
1: I, I'm, picturing, I'm picturing Ken saying that, in his his Christian Bale-like voice right now. <laughs> you
3: know, laughing to himself, oh, stupid kid, right? So anyway, games in Dunedin that day, we go. It's like, you know, now it's three o'clock and it's still feeling like a slow news day. Players are starting to leave. And here's Angel all picking up a run. Like, ah, the Yankees always provide. There it is. There it was, no, no longer a slow news day. And if that's pretty much it, and you cover the Yankees, shit like that happens all the time, like you just never know. All you know is that it will happen. And then when it does, you need to be ready. Um, and of course I wasn't, didn't even know it was Angel Press and all till later. <laughs> like, oh no, whoops. Anyway, like, yeah, it's, um, you know, that's how I ended up there. Um, and yeah, it was wild because they were good. A lot of names. And by the way, Alex had been suspended, or not suspended, he had come off a hip injury, right? Like he didn't even play a game until May 5th, I think, in Baltimore. And they were giving out they were giving out styrofoam syringes on the street. <laughs> them into the ballpark. Right. <laughs> I'm just like right. and to this day, the only time I ever heard more venom coming out of a crowd was uh NLCS 2015, no, NLDS 2015. Chase Utley. Yeah. So those were one, two. It was Chase Utley in the Flushing, which was like scary. Because I, I was thinking like, if there were no police, people were going to come out of the stands and try to beat the crap out of him. They were so mad. And, and the second one was A-Rod in Baltimore. Because God, they were all over him. And it was like, it wasn't even like good natured, man. Like they like just detested him. And it you felt it. When you get that, especially now in a pandemic, we forget this, you get a lot of people in one place, you can feel what they're feeling, especially if it's all collectively the same thing. And in these two cases, it was like everyone in that ballpark hated a And everyone at City Field wanted to see Chase Otley hurt. And you can feel it. And it's a crazy thing. I miss it, actually. It's a thing to miss because that is a cool part about uh, uh, you know going to the park is that, that the fans and feeling what they're feeling, it, it's a really, really special thing. I miss it.
1: Looking back now, you know the guy for a while. Any surprise at all or any indicators that you could think of as to Robinson Cano being caught cheating twice?
3: That's a hard one. Like Because every time, like the first thing I ever think of, when other people talk about Robbie Cano and that name comes up, he might be the most talented baseball player I've ever seen okay just a straight up like you know when, when you go to the cover baseball you're always at the park way earlier than everybody else right you're getting there when the players get there so i remember going to the park in tampa so you're in the dome everything is louder because you're inside and the press box is like right on top of home plate there it's awesome actually everyone thinks it's a dump because it is right like if your family is not your best favorite ballpark but if you're media, it is actually one of the best ballparks in baseball because you're so close. It's, it, you know, there's a lot of great things about it. So one of them is I remember like Robbie would be out there for early work with Kevin Long, who's the hitting coach at the time, and they'd be doing drills. And so you, I would like find myself just getting lost watching him swing, and hit the ball so hard off the bat. And then the seats were empty, obviously, and it would like be line drive after line drive against the plastic and they would boom because you're in a dome. It sounded like cannon shots and he made it look so easy. Then you'd watch him do it in the game. So, you know, I I don't know, like, am I surprised from that level? Yeah, because I always looked at Robbie as like a guy who didn't need it, right? Like if, if there was someone who could have just gotten by on straight talent, it was him because it was like this innate thing. He hit the sweet spot of the bat every single time it felt like, you know? I, I guess like the one thing I'd think is that like he also played second base, right? Like that's a position, especially before the new rules. dude, you were getting hammered all the time. And I think about how many times you're trying to get out of the way back in the day because someone's trying to take you out on a slide. Mm-hmm. Especially if that ball's to the left side of the infield and you're turned around and your back is to the base runner, right? And look at, by the way, how many games Robbie missed in that time period. How many? Like he played um, buck 62, and like no one fought twice, right? Maybe, so, you know, I guess like in retrospect, like I guess you could be like, geez, you know, maybe that, that helped, right? But like-
4: COVID-19 is still around, but that doesn't mean the Army ROTC programs are not there for you. Earn scholarships for school and pursue the career you want. The leadership-developing Army ROTC classes will give any full-time student the focus and resources that can open doors down the road. Start sharpening the skills that will carve out your future today. Learn how at GoArmy.com ROTC. Army ROTC, now accepting college scholarship applications. Visit GoArmy.com moneyforcollege Money for College.
3: I remember just in real time that everything I, th- I thought about Robbie Cano was like, "Damn, he's talented. Like, like he's one of those people, like uh, he was put on earth to play this game. So it, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing to, you know, now you say that name and he's a two-time user right? suspended guy. And it's like, what a shame. Because- uh,
1: and Mark, I, I think he'll be, he'll be off the hall of fame ballot after the first year. I do I, I think it'd be tough for people to justify a two-time user. Don't yeah. you think to be voted? I, yeah. out- I think it'll be tough. Next yeah. year, it'll be very telling, though. Don't you think? We could have A-Rod and, and Ortiz on that Hall of Fame ballot.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, that's going to be a tough one. And, you know, it's everybody's going to have to figure out their line, right? And, like, if, if we were going to talk about two times, you know, getting caught twice, like, I think that's a pretty reasonable line to draw, you know? Like, my me personally, whenever I've looked at that Hall of Fame, I draw a pretty big difference between some of the stuff that was going on in earlier eras compared to like, you know, that period in time where there was a reckoning in the sport, right? Like th- I think we can all agree people who watch this game know there was about that time period where like, it was very clear. Mm-hmm. Don't do shit. Do not do this stuff. Don't. Okay. Like the league increased the penalties. They made a big deal of the penalties, right? Whenever someone got popped, it became like, you know, they were using those people to set some kind of example. Right, you, co- you
1: covered the uh, the first ever player banned from the game for steroids, and Henry Mejia. What a knucklehead that guy was!
3: <laughs> Dang, yeah. Well, oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah. Is not he back in pro ball now?
1: I, I think he was like signed by the Red Sox last year, but for for the minors. But I don't know. I don't know where he is at now.
3: Yeah. So you know, like that's it's a complicated issue. Um, Yeah, Mark, I was going to follow up here
2: because uh, you've made appearances on the past, uh, you know, we've mentioned your SMY appearances. Uh, You've been on MLB Network several, several times and you've been on MLB Network uh, explaining your Hall of Fame ballot, which I think is really, really important uh, because I think the most important thing here for the, the baseball writers is the transparency of everything. Uh, And we mentioned before that we had Ken David off on. So I asked him this, you kind of answered it a little bit already. Uh, There's a certain way to frame this question. And I, and I like the philosophical approach because I think every writer is entitled to their own opinion on this. Uh, I think every writer is entitled uh, to their own little formula that they do in their head uh, to justify their hall of fame vote. Um, But you in the past have voted for players like Barry Bonds, Uh, like Gary Sheffield, like Roger Clemens, like Sammy Sosa, right? All those players have certain ties. Uh, You don't know which players uh, have been doing what. There's really no way to trace back those players. And Nick brought up, uh, I think, an outstanding point. Next year is going to be, I think, the most important year we have in a really, really long time because it is the final year that I believe Bonds is on the ballot, right? Um, Clemens. Clemens, too. Uh, And it's the first year that A-Rod and Ortiz are going to be on the ballot, right? And I think that if the writers vote in Ortiz and they do not vote in Bonds, Clemens, and A-Rod, and I think A-Rod, there's some justification there if you want to leave him off and you don't want to make him a first ballot guy. I totally respect that, you know, coming from a Yankees fan perspective. But uh, so your philosophy when you vote, uh, and I think you also have to be consistent with this too. Right. So uh, you don't have to give away anything that you plan on doing next year. But uh, what questions, what other questions go into your your brain uh, as you're looking at your ballot, you're seeing which players you're going to check off, which players you're not going to check off.
3: Yeah, will I'll push back on one thing right there, Joe. Consistency. Who says? Who says you have to be consistent? According to whom? You know, we change all the time as people. Things happen that change our opinion all the time. from year to year to year you'd like to think you're changing from year to year to year because if you're not you're probably stagnating as a person that's no good either so i used to think that it used to be a big thing to me that like once i made a call on someone well, that was what it was and i found that that was a really hard thing to kind of stay with to be honest i felt like it was an easy way to turn off my brain that once i said well that person's not then i lock it in stone and that's it. Well, that, I came to realize, felt like a cop-out, felt like an excuse, felt like an excuse to not have to engage in the topic again. Well, I've already made my decision. Um, and it got harder when I started to look at it again and think, you know what, maybe I was wrong, <laughs> you know? maybe this thing i felt very very passionate about and felt like i had a justification for maybe i do need to step back and look at it again so um this idea that there's a way that writers should vote save it like i don't want to hear it you know like that is actually quite annoying to me um until you've done it like you have no idea what that's like yeah and i'm not saying that you don't know baseball because of course you know baseball Right, like you two know baseball, like that's what one of the things I love about baseball fans is that the people who are in it, man, there's no faking, that. Like this is something that you do. You you're with your friends and you talk baseball. You know, one of my best friends, you know, on earth called me last week, and what was the first thing we talked about? Baseball, right? Like, is he just as qualified to vote for the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. Okay, so it's not about knowledge. It's not that. Okay, but there is something different about like when you know. There's only what 400 people that have to go, that get to go do it. 400. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, most of them are journalists, so they understand transparency. You know, you're going to get savaged for what you vote for. You know that. Okay. And like everyone nods when I say, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I don't think you do. Okay. Cause that's where it's like you, you, you see the people's passions come out. Right. And when people's passions come out, I think we stop thinking logically and that's everybody, right? That's the writers too. And so we're trying to always, because it's baseball, trying to apply logic to these things, right? It's sort of this offshoot of the analytical revolution that everything has to like make sense. And what I find as I get older is that it's bullshit. <laughs> like baseball, this shit doesn't make sense. Like, I'm sorry, but like, if it did, why the fuck are we watching it? All right. If you could All tell right. me what was going to happen tomorrow, why watch this shit? Why? So it, this idea of having this fixed version of history, right. having, well, once you decide it this way, you've got to stay that way. It's arbitrary nonsense rooted in this idea of analytics and, 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 you know, having that be the only way to consume the sport. So that, and so it's hard to even say that because now it's like, oh, he hates numbers. Bullshit, too. You're not listening if you're saying that. Okay. Like, and you've never read me, by the way, if you're saying that. Okay. I understand that the sport is driven that way. I understand why it's important. But, you know, let's not conflate that with applying it to everything about our consumption of the sport. Right. Like, I can, two things can happen at once. I can say that numbers are important analytics and and, you know the the objective measures of things when you're trying to evaluate players yes that's extremely important every team uses it i can also tell you that i'm sick of launch angle bullshit because it ruins baseball Uh (laughs) like both things can be true Uh and then i think you've heard of this off season where theo epstein you know is saying it straight up like aesthetically the sport suffers so like okay this is a hall of fame question we'll dial it back right why we're having these issues I think is this like false concept of having to be perfectly logical to put this game in a box and we do it with the actual style of play we do it in how it's covered we do it in how we vote for the hall of fame and I don't want to do that anymore right
1: I mean Mark t- 10 years from now maybe you thought about the already. we had Tim Kirkshan on we asked him how are you going to think back to the 2020 season where some players, their numbers just don't add up because they missed a hundred games. Uh, Someone, I think that that might impact a lot is, you know, some, not, it's not going to impact on Mike Trapp, but maybe somebody like a Jacob DeGrom who, you know, was, he started later, but he's dominant. Maybe if he had a fleer or something, but how, how was that going to impact your mindset when you're looking, looking back on these guys and, you're, very, you're more progressive anyway, where it's like, you're not looking like, oh, it has to have this X amount of numbers and strikeouts or home runs. But that's something that I think that's going to impact voting, uh, just because people's numbers will not light up. And you have to say, oh, well, we look back because they only played, you know, 25 games in, in 2020 because of coronavirus.
3: So here's where I think we we're just talking about analytics, where it has been so big and positive for the game. Is that you can see the numbers that just don't do the job when it comes to evaluating players, right? So I don't know, do you, if, if you're nailing or you're, you're, you're taking points off of Jacob deGrom because of his win total, um, well, you don't know shit about baseball. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> sorry, like you, at this point, if you're like hung up on wins and losses for pitchers, you're in denial. Like you honestly do not know shit about baseball. Now, fortunate thing is, When I look at the voters, most of them know stuff about baseball. Therefore, they're not sitting there counting wins and losses for a guy like Jacob DeGrom when they knew that for all those years, the Mets couldn't score any runs, right? Like, I think the general, this is going to sound bad, right? Because everyone on Twitter wants to line up and crush the voters. But believe it or not, and I think you guys in your lifetimes have probably seen this, the level of that kind of knowledge amongst the people that cover the sport has actually gone up. Yeah. They've, it's had to. We we're talking about social media earlier. I think that's one of the great things. Is that right. You couldn't get away with being, you know, head in the sand. This is the way it's always been because social media was there. Right. It acted almost as this, this like corrective counterbalance. You couldn't sit there and just write a story that goes, "Well, he doesn't have enough wins to be valuable." You get shouted down. I think that was a good thing because back in the day, he'd write some something ridiculous. And the only feedback you'd get would be a letter to the editor that you may or may not see, right? Literally, or a voicemail on your phone. It wasn't public. Now you write something stupid, right? Like something that, that exposes your lack of knowledge of something you ought to know. How long does that take to get around the internet? Instant. Instant. You know what, that's good. That's yeah. good. It, it keeps writers accountable. You know, because you, you can't get away with that shit anymore, right? Yeah. Like, you can't just be like, oh, these nerds, they don't know anything, blah, blah, blah. Like, you, right. you can't just do that, and no one bothered you.
1: I think it's going to be at least 20 years before we see another 300-game winner. So you got to just throw out wins right there. No one's going to get to that plateau ever again.
2: <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to see another 300-game winner. No,
3: because what, what does that mean? All it means, like, is that you threw a lot of innings, and you pitched in a lot of games, right? right. Like that's, I mean, I, I hate to, like one of those guys that like you know because i don't think every stat is worthless right i don't think that at all but i do think there are exceptions where it truly is worthless and a win-loss total for a pitcher the way the game is played in 2021 is worthless that that's like asking somebody hey what's your era on sunday (laughs) what's it telling you right nothing it tells you nothing it's so random (laughs) So that's not every old school. Like, you know what? Like, people are going to rip me for this. Like, RBIs, I still pay attention to that. I'll tell you why. Because if you're racking up a high RBI total, that means the person running the team thinks you can hit. Right. That's why you're hitting third. Okay. So, no, am I going to use that? Am I going to use RBIs to like determine if I'm handing out $25 million a year to X player? No. But if someone's got hundred RBIs every year, it tells me they're probably in a place where they're trusted enough to knock those runs in. Is that telling you something? Hell yeah, it is. It absolutely is telling you something, right? Like so, an average is the same way, right? There's a lot of luck with that. I get it, right? And there's a lot of ways to be valuable that aren't tied to average. We get it. But is a hit more worth more than a walk? Yes. Like we see it with our eyeballs and we see it in the math. Yes. So, is it valuable to have a guy gets a lot of hits? Yes. (laughs) Like, (laughs) so is that worthless? But do you pin your entire evaluation on a batting average? Not if you want to keep your job. Right.
1: Uh, It's it's interesting stuff there, and you know, we could probably go on and on and on about that. But I wanted to know for, for you personally, was it tough to go from the Yankees beat to the Mets beat and then back to the Yankees, and what was the transition like for you? To go from Newsday to the athletic. And ultimately, how did you get to your current role here? And was it tough to say goodbye to the daily grind of being on the beat?
3: Yes. So we'll start at the back. Yeah, of course it was. Like, I, you know, the job I have now is awesome in that, you know, like think about the conversation we've just had here, right? Like, I get to have these conversations all the time with our writers. Mm-hmm. If, you know, somebody, has a question about building relationships like it's cool to be able to be a resource there you know here, here's how i did it right like let's let's talk about it maybe there's something that i did that you can take um then every time i have one of those conversations i'm learning something that i might be able to pass on right so you know, my, my current job is deputy managing editor for talent development it's essentially like coaching our people to be better and and it's awesome like i am humbled by the trust they put in me to do that right like i mean i assume that they think i know what i'm doing otherwise they wouldn't be putting me in that spot right like i mean so but i will you know i do miss i miss the day-to-day right because i do love the sport um i think the stories are compelling because i just i do love the sport right so um you know the good thing is i still get to write you know it's not like I don't write at all anymore. I mean, it's not every day, obviously, but there are projects that I'm working on right now that I'm excited about, that I still get to put my name on, and I still get to do the reporting and the writing that I really enjoy. Um, you know, bouncing back to the Yankees after being on the Mets. Actually, of all the times that I kind of you know changed jobs, that was probably the easiest one because I'd still had these relationships in the Yankees organization in their clubhouse. Like the coaches, a lot of them were still there. Um, there were players that were there. Like one of the first people to walk me back was Brent Gardner, <laughs> you know, like people walked through the door. He'd heard it was going to happen. Like they had a great chat. Like, you know, like it's funny. Cause Jack Curry saw this happening and talked about it on the broadcast, but Gardner was like introducing me to the players that I didn't know. And it was cool. Like, cause guys don't have to do that right meant a lot to me because like it you know like i'd clearly established some level of respect with this player that you know i think commands a lot of respect in that room so to have him do that was so helpful like it was just such a really awesome thing that he went out of his way to do so going back there wasn't that hard actually because um i'd built relationships and you know maintained them right i was gone for five years but like you know, I didn't go five years between talking to Brian Cashman, right? I didn't go five years between even talking to Brett Gardner uh-huh. or, or, you know, some of the guys that, that you know, CC Sabathia, right? Like, I'd maintain some, like, ties with them. So, um, you know, it was a lot of fun going back because I felt like being on the Mets made me better. I was better prepared to jump in and tell good stories, and, and I was proud of that. Right. Like I was back on the Yankees for just one year Um, and Lindsay Adler took over. She does a hell of a job. If you're not reading her, you ought to. She's great. Um, But You know, like my first year back, like Giancarlo Stanton did one, like one on one interview that season. It was with us. It was with the athletic. Um, You know, Aaron Judge had, you know, become what he was at that point. Um, and I was able to tell this story about basically how the coaches were trying to tell him to do it one way and he basically was like, nope, it's going to be this way and he's used some pretty colorful language to do it, which is like, you know, when you look at his public image, you don't think that, but he had it in him Mm -hmm. and, you know, had that story, right? Like, so I felt like...
0: Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com.
3: Coming back, it was fun to be able to like kind of get to that point faster, just because I was more experienced. And you know, I'd like to think it helped establish the athletics presence there. You know, that like we're a brand new covering the team again but it was someone who had covered the team it was someone who had relationships um you know and, and hopefully it differentiated the coverage enough right like i mean we did a big thing about um you know how their analytics revolution unfolded there you know like mm-hmm. you know saris and i had come, like i teamed up on a story like that well coming back the like you know it, it it generated a lot of interest. Like We got a lot of people to sign up for the site just on that one story. So it it felt good to make an impact coming back. But part of that was it was easier. It was much easier than the first time. So did you ever feel like um, you were
2: ever going to get into a place right now where uh, you're you're doing, I guess, more content strategy stuff now that you're kind of uh, overseeing stuff as opposed to just being a, a typical writer and going to places and and events and and meeting different players uh now you're i guess maybe not necessarily overseeing everybody but you're doing uh i guess your part in 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 making sure that you're leading the direction of the athletic uh did you ever see yourself in in that position 10 years ago uh and uh, are you enjoying it now you must be enjoying it right
3: yeah like so the answer is no hell no 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 never now one thing that I've always enjoyed was helping people along because I know that in my career, like I had so many people that, you know, out of just like goodness, right? Like for no other reason than it was like, they were nice. Um, Show me the way, made me better, right? Like I had competitors that were, like their job was to beat the hell out of me every day. <laughs> Yet, some of those people are the ones that taught me the most, like George King was one of those guys you know joel sherman is one of like they didn't have to but they saw that i wanted it too that i was i I would work at it and so they must have seen something so i learned like i owe those two those two guys in particular right like i owe them a lot i owe them a lot and we've never worked at the same place right? right so anyway like i always tried to pay that forward in other words right so like what at the athletic You know, when they hired me, I was like one of the more experienced baseball writers, right? Because when they started, they were doing that, like hiring people with experience. Well, they were also hiring people that were just starting, right? And what I found was like, I just enjoyed talking to them. Like when I'd be driving home from Yankee Stadium to Jersey, where I live, and, you know, four out of five nights, my phone would ring and it would be one of our younger writers. This is the word was getting out. If something happened, that you didn't know what to do, like, right? Like, you know, manager goes off on you. What do you better, do? Better call Mark. Call, call, just see what you <laughs> said. Like, it got around, right? Like, and that was flattering. Is there, like, you know, because it's happened probably to me and it has many times, right? But like, I found I enjoyed those conversations so much that I kind of figured at some point, you know, I might do something in relation to you know essentially what i'm doing now it's talent development right so i'm not like managing a staff i'm basically just like being a resource for people where that is now my job right like i mean earlier today i did a whole thing you know with some of our hockey writers right i'm not going to teach them how to cover hockey but like you know we talked about building relationships with people that you cover you know how do you do that in a way where you can still do your job and if you have to write critically about them you can but they also know like what your role is you know like how do you build trust because that's so much of this is is trust and so it's really awesome and rewarding to know that that is like what i do right like it's it's and it's a very different um reward right like so you know at the athletic there are certain stories, if they do well, everyone notices them, right? They, they cross a certain benchmark. And you know, as a writer, I had lucky. I got lucky. I had a bunch of those types of stories at our place, right? That, that the editors noticed. People loved him. That's why I got promoted. You know, I went from Yankees to national, um, you know, because I was able to write these types of stories that they liked. But you know what? Like, I had a writer I was working with last week get one of those stories, and it felt better than when I did it myself, which is weird. Right? I didn't expect that. Not better, just different, I guess. Cause like, oh, I mean, of course it feels good when you're the person doing it, but it was different and in a good way. Like it was really rewarding. Like I know this person had put a lot of time and effort into this story. And, you know, they'd expressed to me that like some of the input that i had had in it had made it better and it sounds corny, it was like an awesome feeling. So it, it's, it's a neat thing to be in a stage of my career where, you know, I'm feeling that I'm getting to have those interactions, but also, you know, we'll still be able to write and, you know, we'll see where this goes. I like it, but, you know, I mean, I'm a writer too, you know, like I, uh, I'm always going to miss the day-to-day part of it, but hopefully figure out a way to still be a writer uh, sometimes because I don't think it'll ever be out of my system.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, it's very clear that the writers are looking at you for advice. Your email's been blowing up this whole interview. So we'll, we'll start <laughs> out, we'll start getting you out of here with our, you know, we usually wrap with this. We always got to ask writers about their favorites. So uh, just in general here, your favorite games you've covered or series, specific teams, uh, press conferences, we always find that interesting, coaches, and players.
3: Oh, my God. Let's go one by one. Ask them one by one. All yeah. right.
1: So one would be in just either games, teams, or if you're doing a postseason series. So they all kind of loop together there.
3: All right. So I'm gonna say NLDS, Matt's Dodgers, because what deGrom did in that series, especially the game five, mm-hmm. was like my goodness, like that that is probably the best game I've ever seen with my own two eyes. Where somebody who was clearly gassed basically went out there and took it to a really good team just on sheer will. Like Jacob DeGrom was just like, you are not beating me today. You <laughs> did it. And it's like, you, you now that people say that kind of stuff all the time, right? Like, oh, God, he just went out there and did that. But when you cover baseball every day for whatever, what I do for like 11 years, 12 years, you realize that you don't really see it all that often. And he did it with his team, like in desperate need of him to pull them through. And it was like, that to me was like, there's two places where I think the legend of Jacob deGrom took off. The All-Star game, right? When he, when he struck out the side or whatever, like-
1: 10 pitches, yeah,
3: almost. <laughs> but when it really took off to me, was that that series. Game five, like, so game, the first game he threw, he just shoved, right? Like, I think he struck out like 13, um, broke a record for, you know, Matt record, right? Like, I think was, he'd passed Doc Gooden for most strikeouts in the postseason game. Pretty good. Comes out in game five with nothing, and wins him that game. So that whole series, you know, uh, Utley, like the back and forth, like it was tense, inten- intense. Like, and I remember, yeah, you know, Jake after that game at Dodger Stadium, like they'd done all their celebrating, and I've never seen somebody more tired. Like he was sitting in his chair in the clubhouse. He was spent, spent. And I'm like, you all right? He's just like, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> like I'm really tired. <laughs> And it's like, you should be like, you could put the team on your back. Like it, it was remarkable. So I, that season was special. That series was special. I think that game, game five.
1: Yeah. Him and, him and Murphy, very special. I, I'm picturing now, cause you mentioned Ken Davidoff, Murphy sitting home runs. You are just looking over to Ken, he's like, Oh, another one, another home run. Uh, <laughs> what, what was that like in the press box and Murphy's just hitting these home runs?
3: I don't, you know what? Like, that's a good question. I don't remember. Because when you're writing on deadline on the West Coast, you're just so locked in. Like I was just too busy trying to like get my story done on time. So like I remember it being like um, Conforto went deep in that game too. Um, Yes. I just remember very early on thinking, oh man, this is going to be a classic because so DeGrom runs into trouble early and now Cindergaard's throwing in the bullpen and then Terry comes out and then leaves him in. So we're like, ooh, this is like inning two, maybe third inning, something like that. And you're just like, dang, this, this shit doesn't happen every day, right? Like, this is a, go, this is a do or die game. And man, just left him, in the, left him on, on the mound when you had a guy ready to go that who could have given you several innings, right? <laughs> so I think, like, from that point on, it was just, like, locked in because you knew. Already I knew, I was like, damn, this is going to be, like, a big game. Whatever happens here, it's huge. Like, be ready for it. So what happened? I, I couldn't even tell you. I was too focused on yep. what am I writing today?
1: Absolutely. All right. Now Most memorable press conferences. To me, I just remember the one of the all-time greats was Terry Collins just exploding. We got a whole busload of them in Las Vegas that they could come <laughs> call up. That was, that was great. Obviously, you know, Terry f- flipping out after the game, but with the one more Flores situation, but you know, you've covered the Orioles, you covered the Yankees, you know, somebody introductory press conferences, A-Rod getting suspended, but which press conference to you comes to mind as, as something that was very memorable. God,
3: that's So difficult because there's, I mean, you covered the Mets. Like you can't you can answer that so many different ways um you know i think um yeah you know tc after wilmer was like just classic classic terry collins like raw honest right like i think covering terry was great because he knew what you were gonna get right like and i think the fans that loved terry that's why it was there was no pretense there like he was pissed and he showed it right? Like, and he was frustrated and he showed it. It was real. Um, You know, Sandy after that was just like surreal. You know, Sandy staying against the wall going, that trade did not occur. You're just like, wait, what? Right? Like, I remember just being in that scrum going, like, what the hell just happened? Like, what the hell just happened? Like, what? You know, so um, I would say, yeah, those two, like, Terry being raw and real and then sandy dropping that this trade did not occur you're just like all hell breaking loose around it was crazy uh so i'd say those
1: all right And the last one here your go-to players and coaches or managers when you need to get a quote for a story <sighs>
3: <laughs> that's a tough one because so this sounds weird i think quotes suck most of the time like when you really think about it like it, all the quotes that get put in the paper or a website, most of them aren't very good. So it's hard for me to even answer it because I never went into an interview looking for quotes.
1: Well, let me reframe it then. Is there someone you would go to, to help you get a story?
3: Well, I can't say that. Like <laughs> when, when did I give you my social security number and, and my bank account number while I'm at it, hang on, you want that? Let me get my wallet out and like, no, I can't be saying that stuff. Like, I mean, you understand why, right? Like you're, your sources, these are people that like, you know, there's a reason they talk to me because I'm not telling people on a podcast who I'm talking to, right? Like when it comes to that stuff, um, no, it's way too much. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah, mean, if you trust me, I'm not going to like be telling people where that stuff's coming from. All I, I can tell you is that there are folks who know what they're talking about and I trust them and they've never been wrong.
2: All right, let's pivot. Your favorite stadium you've ever been to?
3: Dodger Stadium. Yeah. And, the,
2: shape and the location? It's beautiful.
3: Yeah, all of that. All of that. Like it's, you know, it was built in what, 1962? All right. Um, and it feels it in like the best ways. And it's also a pain in the ass, right? Like it, it's- it's Oh all- yeah,
2: I, I've heard traffic going in and out of that place is a nightmare. But <laughs> it's a pain in the ass. Totally worth it
3: but it's gorgeous, you know, and I'm a West coast person. So I'm going to be biased even though I can't, I don't like LA particularly, but um, Dodger state is my favorite one. Yeah.
1: All right. Let's add on a high note here. Your go-to meal or snack in the press box. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh man. That's a good one too. Um, you know what? This is where like city field for food is the best place in principle. <laughs> Um, not necessarily at the, their cafeteria or whatever, but the best thing was being able to have all these choices. Go out into the concourse, go get it, and come back to the press box. So I'm just gonna say, City Field, and you know, um, there's too many to pick from. Like all the concessions at City Field are like incredible. It's like elite how good they are. That's and you know, good for the fans, right? Like that's good for them. Like they get, you know, legitimately great food at that ballpark. And, and I wish more ballparks were that were that good.
2: All I know is every single time one of my Mets fans' friends have dragged me to City Field, there's always been a huge line on Shake Shack. So I've never been able to get Shake Shack there.
3: <laughs> yeah. well, that's, that's the thing, right? So there, there is always a long line there. But, you know, you go next door, right? And Blue Smokes, Blue great.
1: Smokes, great.
3: Right. Pat, Pat LaFrieda is, like, three doors down. Like, you just go on and on, right? Like, Mama's is there. Like, the uh, uh, there was that um, – what do you call it? Those rice balls they would have in the club level. You go up there, like – And you know, unlike a lot of ballparks, the city field you kind of get around the place, even at the club level, that lets you at least pass through, right? Like a lot of times. So um, I don't know. I I think that was something that they got right. All right, the ballpark's tremendous, and the food's off the charts.
1: Were you in Philly with the Mets when they broke the uh, all-time record for guest team eating cheesesteaks? I know they they absolutely destroyed it. We discussed it with Mike Puma. I believe that the bullpen catcher, like, ate, like, so many cheese steaks. Bartow, yeah. Cologne, just dominated, and there was, there was a small article on it, but I just yeah. want to know if you remember that at all.
3: Yeah, I do remember that. Rack, it was Rack, that, did, <laughs> which, like, is crazy when you see Rack. And, and, but I guess, like, uh, yeah, no, I, do, I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like there was also the series where, like, I don't know, teams hit, like, 16 home runs in one game or not home runs but like no maybe they did 15 it was something crazy where like i just remember like this game is never going to end you know because like every every ball in the air went over the fence that night it was the damnedest thing so i want to say it was right about that time so that's why it sticks out yeah but of course like i don't know like the the mets seemed to come alive in that part like i I wonder if they should have just moved down there like (laughs) time. Right, because even when the Mets weren't good, they show up in Philly, and all of a sudden these guys get hit. It was crazy. It was crazy.
2: Um, we had an amazing time having you on. Thank you so much for doing with uh, doing this with us, Mark. Uh, hopefully, if Nick and I are very fortunate one day, and we're uh, hosted by the Athletic, you can come on with us a little bit more <laughs> and give us some talent direction and give us some, some strategy and some advice and some insight, and you could help us out along the way. But again. We really, really enjoyed having you on. Thanks for doing this. Uh, We always give our guests here the last word. So if there's anything else that you would like to share, if there's anything else you would like to promote, uh, go right ahead, the floor is yours. Uh, We really, really enjoyed having you on and we want you back. So uh, hopefully you you stay in touch with us and hopefully we'll find some time maybe later in the year uh, we can have you on as the season's going on. Uh, You can talk to us about stuff that's happening along the way. Uh, You don't have to give us your sources. Uh, you're a very good journalist. You're incredibly good at what you do. Uh, that's why you've been able to move up as quickly as you have. So uh, if there's anything else you would like to share, go right ahead.
3: Subscribe to the athletic. That's what I like to share. It's a good product. If you haven't done you do. it, often, give us well, a I, do. <laughs> I hope you do because like, it's, you know, yeah, I'm totally reading an ad, right. But like really and truly, um, I'm not sure there's another site that covers a sport of baseball better than ours. Um you know it's just kenny rosenthal is worth the price of admission by himself and the fact that you've got all these other really talented writers and voices also working there um you know if you haven't done it yet um give it a shot you know especially leading up to opening day i know they're cutting the price on it give it a look you will not regret it thanks for having me i enjoyed it it was a fun chat guys thank you
1: all right, that's going to do it here for this episode of You Know I'm Right. For our special guest, Mark, and my co-host, Joe, I am Nick. And this has been You Know Um. All right. Right.
0: Hear that? That's the sound of someone trying to steal your crypto. Every day, thousands of hackers online are doing the same. That's why Arculus uses air-gapped cold storage technology to protect your assets. Using our keycard and wallet app to form a protective barrier, Arculus insulates you from hackers and puts control of your digital assets back in your hands. Order the first truly air-gapped crypto wallet at GetArculus.com.